You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello, Riverdale gang. Hi, gang. Welcome back to Riverdale Gang, the critical commentary watch-along podcast recorded here on unceded Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territory, where much of Riverdale is shot. I'm Chloe. I'm Ryan. And, um, and here we are. Yeah. In the future. <laughs> in the future. Ryan and I were just saying that we had, like, strong reactions to some parts of this show, but otherwise, or excuse me, this episode, but otherwise it was just kind of fine. Yeah. You know? I'm reminded of the, like, middle-of-the-road episodes in season two or three, where I was just mm. like, yeah, this is an episode of Riverdale. This is yep. fine. <laughs> and, you know, I liked it enough to start a podcast about it back then, so... <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's a good way of framing it. Yeah, I... I think one of the things I was really interested in in this season is I do think that the actors have grown a lot in their capabilities. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, excited for them to, to do a bit. But I, it's also um, the limits of this genre, I think, are becoming really clear to me in, ah. uh, in the last two episodes. Okay. In the yep. sense that there really isn't an opportunity for them to do, like really really big acting you know there aren't a lot of opportunities for that um Mm -hmm. and yeah it it, as much as it plays in the thematic and genre territory of of film of literature of all of these multimedia formats it is a tv show it is a serial Mm -hmm. television show and it is Mm -hmm. you know that that is a format with some realities that can be played into a masterpiece, but this ain't that. Like I, yeah, lo- I, I love the show, but it's serial storytelling, it's and that's storytelling. that gets messy. Totally, yeah. I think one of my favorite distinctions that I've ever heard you make is the difference between instead of saying like high art and low art, saying hard art and what was the op- opposite of hard art? I have no idea. I don't remember saying this at all, Chloe. Thanks for, for- oh. <laughs> <laughs> you said it on this podcast too actually i think our audience has heard you say it awesome um past me art and knew maybe... what was up i guess hard art yeah um i guess the opposite would be soft art but that doesn't quite communicate what i mean maybe maybe light art maybe heavy art and light art is the is a maybe a different way of parsing mm. that anyway all this to say is that yeah yeah R- i get Riverdale the dimension is it... that apparently yeah. past me thought and now you you now and now you thinks yeah um i think that um yeah i just think this this genre is a little limited it can it can do some really cool stuff Mm -hmm. um for sure and i thought in the the last time jump episode we saw some really cool opportunities like we were saying last time for americana play and that sort of thing and that was really cool Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. Anyway, I, I am intrigued. One thing that did ping for me that maybe will come up while we're watching the episode is, um, uh, what's the word I want? I did feel like there was sort of a, a small town American 
feel to this that made me think of real situations and I wondered how much of I wondered how much of Riverdale was real this time mm. around especially since I've been listening to um, the a podcast about the criminal justice system in the United States but also I saw a documentary recently about uh, that featured some small town life in the United States basically dying towns and I thought that was just I, I just think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting choice for this show to touch on those things. And I, I'm curious to know how much of it is real. Mm. And you might be able to speak to some of that being from a small town. I know it's in Canada, but really, is there that big a difference? We ask ourselves this question. Mm. I will say um, there there absolutely is a substantial difference between the um, the the format and, and layout and disparity of... Um, small U.S. towns and small Canadian towns, especially uh, mm. here here in Western Canada. Um, we've inherited actually quite a quite a neat and tidy, in some ways, um, network of settlements along baseline infrastructure. Like, there, right. there, um, there is a lot of strategy and um, mapping around resource bases uh, that goes into much of Western Canada. Um, and while that, um, you know, I, like I've seen firsthand the consequence of the big plant closing in town. It has, mm. it absolutely has an impact. Um, uh, alfalfa used to be a major export and cash crop of my region. And over about three years, I, I haven't seen alfalfa, an alfalfa field in probably 15 years. Um, and it's hmm, that's you, there are these little impacts that do shape the landscape and shape the people, um, but I don't know that the um, I feel like I feel a very midwestern vibe in some of these crises. Like um, this, this may be something that uh, might have more resonance in Ontario communities or in, uh, in Quebec and the Maritimes. The Maritimes in particular, I think, could be perhaps the, the, the best parallel because what you, what, what you have is these communities with a somewhat older, um, longer lifetime that have gone through more economic, uh, shifts and revamps and changes, um, and there are, I think, there are more spots for a com community to um, accidentally run out of fuel uh, mm. in, in those long histories. And I mm. think um, I'm I'm to be soapboxy for a second. I I think infrastructure investment is a huge component in um, the survival of any community, of course. But um, we like broadly in particular small ones in particular it's a it's a it's a threat to small ones in the in the contemporary and current way of structuring uh infrastructure management um interesting set of my grandparents generation did not uh when they were young adults when they were my age um coped very differently with infrastructure um even even now in, in my home community, there is a very neat grassroots co-op push to roll out a fiber optic network to the region. Um, it is led by local farmers and homesteaders and community members. Uh, it is working with a, a small uh, 
small telecommunications company uh, to build a dedicated service. It's it's the it's the neat successful version of the the public private part that evolved in many ways into the public private partnership, a much more exploitive model. Um, but there there's some very grassroots assembly of infrastructure, one uh, plank at a time. And quite often, um, when I was a child, uh, water infrastructure was uh, organized through much of the, the region in the same way. Um, there, it, uh, pipelines would be laid based on the buy-in of X amount of homesteads over a stretch. And this was how infrastructure was built at the time. Uh, and I think traditionally is in a lot of communities. Um, the in, the uh, influx of public funding in the form of granting, uh, of federal grants, uh, provincial or state grants, um, that's, that's certainly grown as the um, sort of prohibitive scale and cost of uh, infrastructure technology has grown in the last, uh, over the last few generations. Um, but it's, we're not actually that far from everyone in the community coming together for a barn raising or to have a work be for the church, or to have a um, you know cooking cooking uh, days uh, for fundraisers. That's we think of that as in, in the city. I think as what we do to raise money for special causes. But um, amongst the the elder generation in my community, the annual uh, annual meat pies uh, at the church is infrastructure funding is core operational funding. Wow, that's really interesting. And that's, like, nothing else is expected. That is that is the norm. Um, and so when those systems start to break down, and when, when we see an exponential growth in the cost of infrastructure, whether it be roads, whether it be um, uh, snow removal service, whether it be electricity, we're seeing some horrifying consequences in Texas right now of um, yeah. the breakdown of... of sort of both these local carefully mapped systems but also an interconnected you know the the worst the worst case scenario of a centrally planned isolate um of infrastructure uh is kind of playing out there but um i think that has a great deal to do with the decline of small and medium-sized communities um and Unfortunately, America has seen a sharp decline in investment in certain public infrastructure, in railway in particular. Um, it's noticeable when you cross the border, certainly uh, from Vancouver through to Seattle, um, the upkeep and quality and age of the rail lines is starkly different uh, at, around the border. Um, and there, this is this is a long term issue. Uh, you know, America made amazing infrastructure investments after World War II, um, both as public stimulus, but as this real investment in these communities. And a lot of the a lot of the economic thriving of you know the suburban life that we've developed is predicated on these well built, well maintained highways, um, power infrastructure, water infrastructure, the ability for all these communities along, uh, along major routes to be equally prosperous and equally up to date with contemporary resources. Um, 
whereas historically it was a town by town decision of infrastructure. Um, I remember very strikingly learning that the um, the town of the Duke, because uh, well, we studied the Duke in school because it's a, an oil boom town south of Edmonton, in uh, in the province of Alberta. It's a it's okay. it's like a gold rush town, but for oil. Um, <laughs> Interesting. And okay. Around the turn of the century, just before 1900, they voted against installing pub, uh, home plumbing in the town several times. And I remember being quite sort of struck by that conversation, by that being a public conversation, and by mm, by the rejection of that. Um, but that's also, it's, it's an economic choice these individuals are making. Um, my dad has a water co-op hookup from when I was a child, from that, that, uh, that program I mentioned earlier. My mom... Mm who lives on an acreage uh, about 20 miles down, which was in the same catchment, does not have um, the regional water piping. She has dugout water. Um, she has no water infrastructure access. And it's completely because the owners of her, of her homestead at the time did not have $12,000 to invest in this cooperative mm, project. Wow, that's and, really interesting. And that is that is still how a lot of infrastructure is um, allocated in in rural Canada. Uh, I imagine it is rather more competitive and rather more prohibitive um, in rural regions in a great deal of the U.S. Um, because I know Canada does have a fairly well structured public funding stream for rural infrastructure. Um, right. That's something that I consistently see fought for um, across political spectrums uh, as, as like the understanding of this investment community. It's, it's one of the shocking things about politics in Alberta right now that um, that particular uh, value is being really dropped uh, and it's leading to a great mm. deal of infrastructure failure a year or two in. Um, so there's my soapbox. So that's all really... That was a great soapbox. I loved it. I feel like I learned a lot. But I was thinking while you were talking about, okay, so that's one. Of, it, it brings up an interesting question about the location of, of Riverdale. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're like, we're applying like, we're applying some very, very thoughtful ideas to um, a place that exists <laughs> just, just, you know, just in television in a very kind of, I don't want to say shallow, land. but in a very, in a very light way. And so when they take on these heavy topics like unincorporating a town or losing school funding mm -hmm. or um, a, a despot trying to underfund one project so that he can overfund another, essentially, and make, make capital, mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think these conversations do become interesting um, mm -hmm. because I do think a lot, of the, a lot of how we understand ourselves takes place in the pop culture landscape. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So I think it's I think it's just interesting for you to bring all of that into the conversation about what's going on on Riverdale this week. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because we do get a moment where Veronica says like, well, or someone says to Veronica, well, lots of people do commute to the city now, which yep. makes Riverdale sound like it's in Connecticut <laughs> rather than like in the midwest which is i think what we've been operating the assumption we've been operating on for a very long time certainly not pennsylvania mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everyone else everyone would have very different accents it's not I've, jersey <laughs> i've often got 
subtle like organ vibes because hey it's filmed in the pacific northwest you're gonna get organ vibes if you think it's it's true (laughs) yeah it does feel like it especially with the militia it does kind of feel like small town organ but i've i've always assumed more of a midwestern like closer to chicago than new york yeah but okay it's smallville great it's smallville a drive from metropolis it's commutable to new york cool sure should we i love it should we jump in Let's jump in, Chloe. All right, All right gang, queuing up. Your, thank you for your soapbox. I really appreciated it. Oh, thank you. I love rambling about um, perils of in of geography, of settler landscapes, and recent Truly. history. There's there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. It's so true. So uh, okay, getting your DVRs and or Netflix and or otherwise recordings queued up, and we're yeah. all going to press play there goes the netflix badoom and right back to tradition (laughs) yeah um no um previously on riverdale which i liked um nothing in the past is relevant to this and also not a ton of Jughead narration. Like, I thought it was fun that they absented his narration when he had writer's mm. block. I thought that was a very fun choice. Oh, that, nice catch. Yes. I didn't didn't flag that. Um, looking at it now, I like that it, it introduces us, but it... Um, what I remember from season one Jughead narration, which I think I'm going to be comparing this episode to a, a lot in my head in these next couple of mm-hmm. episodes, is... The foreboding doom doom, but there was a great yes. mystery looming, and this is yes. a much more um, slice of life paced bit of fiction, mm-hmm. full of full of awkward emotion beats and conversations between uh, former lovers and old friends and family. Yeah, it, like like yeah, it's the dimensions of the relationships that all of our characters suddenly have is is in a whole new space that really mellows out a lot of the melodrama or maybe i just expect or <laughs> like expect 20 somethings to be worn down by all the drama and just with it <laughs> yeah i liked these two sequences in terms of um their self self-referential quality i feel like these are very season 1 um settings Mm, and very season mm -hmm. one shots Mm -hmm. but they're all in darkness yeah you know they're all like things have gotten serious now i thought that was i i suspect that was a purposeful choice Mm -hmm. yeah so the reading the age of these characters um i find myself 25 yeah yeah veronica still reads young to me out of out of out of the main That's three, Veronica reads youthful to me still. Um, I almost wonder if the the baby face Chad isn't isn't as much about not making Camila Mendez look even younger. It's I feel like Betty has been playing older for a while. Um, KJ mm, Apa, yeah. there's they did a lot of neat things with makeup, like to sharpening his his facial bone structure. Uh, the mm-hmm. haircut, he was very effectively visually aged for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty gets a lot of points <laughs> just for the new hair. So 
sorry. Oh. I'm giggling because I was just thinking poor, I assume poor KJ Apa has to get that orange dye, like, just zapped into his scalp. Constantly. And now he's got this, like, short haircut. Oh, God. It's, like, all that work With a for fade. this, like, half inch of hair. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, Betty is definitely the oldest of the, the four of them, I would say. I get so much of Betty's aging from... Um, the fact that she's be- she's cycling through being her mother season one. Mm. And I like I love that parallel that she is right now the distant judgy one in the family. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's it's a neat place for her to start. Um, they've chosen to take e- e- to take several of these characters to like fairly bad places. Betty's not doing great. Ju- uh, Veronica's not doing great. Jughead's doing actively real bad. Um, and Archie is, like, in in recovery from um, from major life loss. Like, mm-hmm. it's neat. They're, they're all in much worse states than we last saw them. It's been a bad seven years. I love that they echoed back to this exact conversation because it it is one of the standout, most petulant things Betty ever did. Yeah. Also, can we just acknowledge the fact that um, poor Kevin Keller was in that cult and we just don't hear from him about it? Yep. Ugh. Oh. I am so annoyed that this... Okay, so here's... I thought I was going to be really annoyed that he is still the villain. Mm Mm-hmm. But I actually like this tired out, grasping at straws, very boring, we know this game kind of villain. Mm-hmm. They lit More Hiram so fantastically to show the texture and lines of his face at that desk. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. there's neat techniques they pulled out to to create a sense of future and aging in this episode specifically to, to ease us in that the little bad mustache like this little bad mustache i i yeah i want to be angry that veronica's in such a such a same problem place but that rings real true in a really in a in a too close way like i'm almost i'm almost annoyed with veronica's arc because it feels a little bit a little too close to home somehow like no. oh yeah yeah cycles Ooh, ah, that's interesting that's funny um how do you feel about this did this work for you oh this is so fair you you stupid vapid idiot you wrote about all of your friends in parody of course they read your book small towns read your stuff <laughs> like yeah this this rang real true and i this was one of the more refreshing dynamic shifts for me. Jughead Interesting. becoming pariah by his own dumb actions. That's interesting. I I found it a little bit wooden, but I think you're right. I think it does actually work. It, um, it it's a little forced. Like I don't think I don't think any of those performers are super comfortable um, riffing on Jughead. Yeah. Like they're all kind of they're all kind of sweet characters. <laughs> For yeah. gang members. Oh man, how weird was this like green screen COVID layering <laughs> sequence? 
How Ugh. weird was it? It was, I mean, like, it was, it, when, when I'm saying how weird is it, I mean, it's, like, not that weird. It was, honestly. It's, it's fairly well assembled. I didn't notice it watching a, this on a tablet last night. I am noticing it watching this on a much bigger screen today. Yeah. I just yeah. clocked that Tony is both a gang leader and the guidance counselor, and that's a wild statement on the on the decline of U.S. Um, mm-hmm. social infrastructure and the systems that have had to evolve to take its place. Because we love Tony and she's amazing, but those yeah. are not historically overlapping positive territory. That's uh, some neat story weaving. Yeah. Listen, this sequence is so hard to watch yeah. as a writer. <laughs> Just like the cursor blinking and like needing work and like being like being so focused on ugh mm-hmm. I just hyper focused <laughs> to a point of personal disaster I felt, I felt so a... sorry for Jughead in this whole sequence I just felt so sorry for him I know I'm not supposed to but I just identify with it too much <laughs> I I think there's something to be said for hating a little too close to home in yeah. some of for some you, of their for you it's Hiram's choices. wrinkles. For me, it's Jughead's writer's block. It's not Hiram. I don't identify with Hiram. <laughs> no, I know. I'm I just loved his time. lighting. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm giving you a hard time. You are uh, like the least Hiram-like person in existence. <laughs> thank you. I wish I had Hiram's money. I'd patronize so much art. It'd be oh, so yeah. much fun. Oh, I wish that for you. I mean, maybe the money would change me and be a jerk, but I think it'd be fun to just do, do the do the get some twenties and make it rain. Yeah, make it rain. Listen, the last time these two characters squared off against each other was when Tony was holding a sacred oh, land sign in season two. You are and, right. Um, I forgot that this was kind of a rich, rich animosity. Like this is fun. I really was into this scene. I'm. Yeah, using Hiram to establish and re reinforce Tony's status, power, but also stakes. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Yes, good. That is a known quantity, and we can see Tony be powerful in Riverdale terms here. Um, they're going out of their way, and it's a touch on their nose, but I'll take it and I love it, to really root Tony in in character beats of strength and foundation and this community and, and to other characters in, uh, they're, they're, they're catching up nicely for what a lead character should have for attachment in a fifth season. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm distracted by the fact that, that I think that is supposed to be a smolder moment and it didn't quite land for me. But I did mm. love that they were drinking not beer but pop soda. I thought that was like a very cute <laughs> little little beat. Yeah. So this, I don't know. Like one thing, this okay. So I struggled with this because it's so much like the earlier seasons of Riverdale, which I found too heightened, too unbelievable, getting teenagers out there with the cops to bang heads in. That felt unbelievable to me. Now what I will say is I've been listening to a podcast about problems in police departments in the United States, 
And yeah. I do find the storyline much more believable than I like. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I had admit. a similar reaction. Oh. My initial gut <laughs> reaction was, that. this is silly. This isn't how policing works. But wait. But wait. Like, uh. think of all the violent police uh, deaths that, like, police shootings of other people that, yeah. you know, we've all read the detailed stories of over the last year. That's yeah. how policing works. No. 100% untrained deputies and private security is how a lot of policing works yeah. in North America, in Canada, I... in, in yeah. our latest, our latest scandal in Edmonton is the Edmonton Police Service. Uh, throwing someone out of a train station at minus 30 temperature when they had no place to go. Just yeah. wild things that our police still do, whether they are certified police members or private security increasingly. Is what wild. you are saying is important, and I agree, and I think it's wild that Riverdale made that choice, but I just need to jump in here and say that Veronica is too... too too knowledgeable about abuse tactics mm. in my view to mm -hmm. i was to stay in this marriage and um i am not saying that to victim blame people who stay in abusive mm -hmm. relationships that's not that's not what i'm talking about i'm not saying that she's too mm. smart or she um is uh I'm not mm. implying that people who stay in abusive relationships are unintelligent. That's not what's going on for me. Mm -hmm. What I feel, what seems odd to me here is that one of the reasons that people often stay in abusive relationships is because they depend economically on their partner. Yep. And Veronica clearly doesn't. And so I'm not clear on what the, what the stakes are for her in terms of staying in this marriage when it seems to me like she is in control in a sense because she has her own capital and her own resources and her and, and an ability to leave it just it just surprises me for this character i guess um i disagree with your assessment that she has her own resources okay, and ability to read to leave um she just sold jewelry right mm, that's that's a, good point. that's a classic like vintage strategy for women who may not have access to say a joint bank account that they can be locked out of suddenly at their right. husband's whims. Um, Veronica has resources, but what I get more and more from her dynamic with Chad is there is, there is a knowing, like, this is a partnership marriage to some degree, that they are performing the romance of in a very Hiram Hermione way. They are mm. a team or trying to be one. But, uh, you know, in, in Veronica threatening her husband the way she does here and uh, in a very you know, in a tactical way the same way she used to do with Hiram and the way same way Hermione and Hiram used to do I'm seeing yeah. a a professional partnership far more than the sort of relationship that she had with Archie for example right of course yeah and I I can't imagine her marriage to a character like Archie uh ha having such a dynamic that's inter yeah, that's interesting to me that you um, parse the resources in that way because I was, I think there's an interesting, I just became aware of an interesting piece of like being a, an assigned female at birth person in patriarchy where mm. my mind's like, oh, she still has her jewelry to sell. She's fine. Mm. But that's not fine. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? 
Right. So that's interesting. Right. I appreciate I appreciate you like <laughs> I appreciate you pointing that out. I think we just played something out together on air. <laughs> <laughs> There's this fabulous it. joke in Shit's Creek. Um in, I think it's second season where uh Mora's David is missing. The son is missing and Moira the mom is so worried about the bag that he took. Not that he's oh, missing, yeah. about the bag and it's that like, well, yes, this has been our like emergency money bag for generations in my family well you don't need that right no i'm happily married but our daughter's going to need it maybe twice Mm, it's like yeah it's it's um alexis is a fabulous character of like the horrible things that women from money still often experience as norm uh yeah that's a whole different podcast and conversation it is no. a whole different podcasting conversation, but we'll just talk over what we all know is going on in this scene. And, um, role reversal. And, yeah. Um, that, and also, like, um, we all, we all know where this plot is going at this point, I think. Um, <sighs> and, um, what I was going to say is I wanted to pay a compliment to the actor who plays Alexis on Schitt's Creek, in all oh, honesty. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, because I feel like she's got that ability very much in the tradition of, like, Meryl Monroe and Mae West and mm. the very famous woman whose name I've completely forgotten who plays Lena Lamont in um, the film version of um, Singing in the Rain. The yes, ability yes, to yes, make, yes, yes. yeah, playing with this, like, quote-unquote stupid woman trope. Yeah. In a very like clever and interesting and very skilled ways. And I think it's um I just think it's interesting that someone has mm. kind of taken on that tradition. I think it's kind of fun. Anyway, yes, I, back I to agree Riverdale. With that. I, yes, yes. That's a that's a great tradition to identify. How's the five seasons? <laughs> I'm in the death bunker. Remember when um, we just stored Tallboy's body in there for a few weeks? <laughs> when we were yeah. kids. Fun and games. Yeah, back when there weren't real stakes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jughead's Jughead's so screwed, and it's it's the screwed of the like the lucky artist. I also identify so deeply with that type of screwed. Like everything's so good, and my problem is so me and work. And non-life-threatening, but I've let it get so bad. <laughs> yeah. How do we feel about Reggie? I think this is a logical choice for this character. Yep. Personally. Um, the other thing that I find interesting about this sequence is, like, the choices that Archie makes in terms of pursuing justice. Um, and... He does go to the cops, but he does also kind of do this first. He does sort of try and sort it out on his own without getting into the, like, quasi-policing, mm. quasi-whatever-that-is that happens in a few minutes. Yes. Um, he, oh, and, he and does he also... try and, like, settle this without snitching, if you want to put it in those terms. I forget that he also has that history as Veronica's body man. Right, yeah. 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 Absolutely. He was Veronica's first capo. <laughs> this coat that Polly is wearing, I swear there is a woman in a famous movie who has that exact coat. Who I plays think a character it... similar to Polly, and I do not remember what I'm thinking of, but 
It's a thing. I'm this also, sequence, yes, reference. Oh my God. Yep. Hyperbole. Tabitha, <laughs> Tabitha, you do, you, I, I feel Tabitha right now. Very much. Um, I am liking the Jughead and Glasses look. No, oh, yeah. Totally I'm bad. liking these. Of course his eyes would get bad at university. Sorry, you're liking these what? <laughs> I'm liking these actors being 25, 26 and being dressed and staged in ways that I can just straight up find attractive again. It's refreshing. Because <laughs> they've Ugh, been, they've been, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Because Cole Sprouse is a charming, attractive man who looks good in glasses. Yeah, and yeah, and is also like, smarmy. Like uh, Cole Strauss honestly does remind me of so many straight men I shouldn't fall for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's really good at playing that type. He's definitely got. He's very. He's a very like. He's got a very kind of classically good looking face. I think. Um, classically good looking, not in the like Ryan Reynolds way, but in the. Mm. Um, Who's a good example of what I mean? Like Paul Heinrich, like old movie star. Kind yeah, of not not chiseled, but like a little bit of a baby face, handsome. Yeah, there. I remember seeing some photographs of him on Instagram. I think he went blonde during the pandemic, and I was like, "Gosh, this is a young Leonardo DiCaprio in the making." Mm. <laughs> He's got that look, definitely. Hey, so um, Tabitha, I do like that. Yeah, Tabitha's great. I do like that they gave her a reason to dislike those men that wasn't covering for Jughead. I thought that was like. I, yes. I like that choice. Like yes. she, she, she decides to dislike them because they sweetheart her. You know. Yep. Um, hey, remember when I was saying that Reggie was Veronica's first capo? Mm-hmm. Uh, this also shows a fall of power so hard. Mm. Veronica's Veronica's old contact is now deferential to both her father and husband. Right. Reggie used to be her man. Not great. No, it's uh, it's some layers of, um, of bad. Like I, I hearken back to that great moment where Hermione took the ringleader beat in what season two or three, mm. and we thought for a moment that maybe she was the big bad all along, or the the brains at least, um, in the the power swing back and forth. Of, of the partnership uh, and the life Veronica's still mm. in. Hey, Kevin, drama teacher, why are you doing, why are you a vigilante, yeah, pseudo-vigilante, it's, pseudo it's I mean, you're obviously a deputy. You've got an FBI agent and a sheriff. You're obviously legal, but what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you're the drama teacher. You probably taught some of these kids. <sighs> This is um, quite a fight this sequence. sequence. This sequence reminds me of something very specific. Mm. Um, I'm sure it's, the, referring, it's referential. Yes. Um, uh, no, I don't think it's referring to this. I think this, I'm curious to know how they shot this in COVID. One. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and two, um, I think this is also supposed to be a smolder moment between Betty and Archie that doesn't quite come off. Mm. Um, but I think I think the two beats that I wanted before the shower scene, this is one of them. Right, you found um, where they're supposed to be. Yeah, it doesn't. It didn't quite. I didn't quite notice it. Maybe that's just like 
that might just be me. Um, but I do like that the like Betty and Archie are kind of forming a bit of a like duo the way they used to with their old partners. Yes. Um, I did want to say that sequence reminds me, blah, blah, blah. Polly's not really working at this place. We all know. Um, uh, the original version of um, One Last Time from Hamilton was Ooh. called One Last Ride, and it didn't make it through workshopping. Uh -huh, and it uh -huh. is on YouTube, if anyone's curious. And One Last Ride is about Hamilton and Washington uh, doing one last, um, like, basically saddling up and putting on their old uniforms and putting on their old guns and mm. going on, an, on a raid of a town that isn't paying their taxes, basically. Huh. Um, and obviously it got changed and it's better and we like this. Um, but it, I just like these, these people who used to spend a lot of time in their youth bashing heads in, um, mm -hmm. I kind of was like, oh, they're having their one last ride, <laughs> pay your taxes, <laughs> which is a real line from that old version. <laughs> of that song it's on youtube you can all go look it up and this is the power of theater workshopping in action for mm -hmm. the record <laughs> also, that's really great sequence, for this... a niche audience that is not the main hamilton audience it's true um this scene this scene also a pay your taxes scene. scene yeah truly a pay your taxes scene and also um i think i think that there are schools in this country and in the United States that are having conversations like this. Yeah. Not necessarily at the height of COVID, or maybe necessarily at the height of COVID, but they're having conversations like, how do we strategize and survive? I really appreciated yeah. this that sequence. Um, it's as very, like, very real. Cardboard cutout as it may be, I appreciated them putting that conversation into pop culture space. I really appreciated it. Yep. Um the numbers ma matched for me as well. Um, my my school amal my, my school and two other regional schools amalgamated when I was in kindergarten, mm -hmm. and um, part of that was the loss of a school in one of the one town, one of the three towns, and it was mm. pretty bitterly fought. And like in my grad class, the, the the alumni from that kindergarten had a special moment with their teacher, but they had fallen to under hundred students of um mm. in a in a they could no longer maintain that so it so the french immersion pro uh the full french language program was consolidated with uh, another regional school and other students went to uh the mm. public i'm sure we yeah to the public school system that i was in and just i remember it being a big to do that That's was important to my parents generation and it's something that I see happening again more um, in my city now in Vancouver, as mm. there are increasing challenges to, to education funding, um, and but in in weird close proximity because schools are you know in the same city in a different neighborhood. It's a different yeah. but familiar dynamic. Yeah. Um, I like this. I like this very much this sequence i i i don't know if mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hiram is finally working as a villain for me he's also um treating veronica as an adult in a way that doesn't yes. feel patronizing finally yes i like i did like this as well 
in in the in that I don't like it. I don't like how low Veronica has landed, but it feels sure. right. It feels like a good place for her to grow from, and it feels like it feels like a natural low. Oh, the kids. Yeah. The little redhead kids. Oh, I didn't notice that they were redheaded. They are. Mm-hmm. And they Blossom are very clearly strong. not actually in the room with these other actors. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Polly's actor's performance. I forget her name. I know she's local. Um, but yeah, I liked her local. I liked her in this in 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 what was asked of her in this episode. I didn't love what was done with the character in a great number of ways. Um, I don't yeah. necessarily trust Riverdale to sensitively handle a drug addiction and the murder of vulnerable women in mm. hyperbolic ways, as they are hinting, um, at all. Nor do those yeah. kids need more trauma. No. Those babies deserve better. Um... But uh, maybe by this way comes Tony family. I'll take that. Tony, Man, Cheryl, this... and their three children. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we like it. Um, this scene, I think, throws into focus something that white artists have to learn to deal with, mm. which is the pressure of the privilege of having been published and someone expecting... Um, more work from you <laughs> does not outweigh you writing and making art in an ethical manner. Uh, um, and I would say uh, a lot I, of artists in privileged places coming into practice. Yeah, um, face that and struggle. I think, I, I think it may not necessarily be white artists, but the fact that Jughead is a white man adds a dynamic to. As yeah, a absolutely. To absolutely. This, to this moment, what um, what what success is promised to be yeah. has different culture connotations. Um, I mean, it's really hard to blame Archie when Betty is in these adorable coveralls and all sweaty and adorable. I was just thinking you know? about that great fit of a shirt on Archie. <laughs> Truly. Um, yeah, these kid, these two have spectacular chemistry. More, yeah. in my opinion, than either of the old <laughs> couples. That, like, uh, deep breath, deep breath, intense look, intense yeah. look. And then... This is fun. This is, this is more passionate. Yeah, they totally smolder. Yeah. In, in particular, more than Jughead and Betty ever did for me. And I think more than Jughead, more than Archie and Veronica ever did. Like, these yeah. two work... And the, the the slow build of their tension works so much. I also love this very mature relationship of first we have casual sex, then whatever happens, happens. Like, yeah, then we are friends for a bit, because we've always been friends. Yeah. Well, except for the last seven years, which gave them distance enough to sleep together. Yeah. I'm very happy for you, Barchi, mm -hmm. so-called. I wouldn't even say this is Barchie yet. This is just Archie and Betty adjacent to each other. Yep, having living their best single lives. Yeah. And embracing chemistry. I've absolutely had that, like, bump into someone in life, fling, spark, see you later, bounce into each other years later, occasionally. 
too. Fun effect. It's a good, it's a good life dynamic. That's cool. I never have. Um, and there are definitely people um, who I have engaged with who I would be interested in bumping into in that way in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be fun. Life is long, um, Chloe. Life pop is long, is, it's Pop true. Tate is great. Thank you yeah, for centering just... Pop Tate in the community. I also looked up this actor on Instagram, and he is just a good human. He posts pictures of birds. He posts pictures of his hobbies. He oh. posts really wonderful pictures of, like, the other stuff he does outside of Riverdale. Like, it just seems like a stand-up human being. It's grandpa vibes. Grandpa yeah, vibes and I all definitely, around. I definitely know we set a norm of, like, not talking too much about the Instagram presences of these actors. But I think in it's... this case, this, like, extremely wholesome human. <laughs> yes love complimenting his wholesomeness tracks yeah seems safe (sighs) yeah it strikes me that it doesn't seem to occur to jughead to say archie i'm swamped can someone else write this speech (laughs) and like even even as maybe the the best qualified person to do it and the person with deep personal attachment and connection still Mm. still still jughead you're drowning you're drowning. Yeah. Tab- Tabitha is totally going to be his romance interest, isn't she? I think so, and I don't like it yet. Jughead yeah. needs to do like four or five more moments like this one before I think he's allowed to date Tabitha. <laughs> yeah, he has growth to do. But you know what? She may pluck him when she chooses. It's true. <laughs> it's true. She seems like a great character. I'm interested in seeing where she ends up. Um, this scene really struck me how effectively they've condensed the support cast of Riverdale this season. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. um, it was unmanageable in budget and in scale and in storytelling, in, in a lot of exciting world-building ways. But in, they've really gotten, in, in setting the plot around the shrinking of Riverdale, in mm-hmm. really cleaning and clarifying who are where our perspective characters are living community wise and and the tight circles around them um mm-hmm. we've really pruned a lot of the big expansive um genre of the week world building of riverdale that got very messy in a like springfield yeah. simpsons way you know spring springfield is has every single thing in america of every city because it has oh. whatever it needs uh, for the episode. But consequentially, it's it's not a small town. It can't possibly be the small town that it is set up to be. Uh, Riverdale was getting to that point for me in a lot of ways. But they, mm. they anchor it in scale in a lot of ways. Interesting. Here for me. Um, to bringing Weatherby and um, the... the um, I forget her name now. The, the yeah, the secretary. secretary. I also forget her name, but yes, I know exactly who you mean. Yeah. She's who I um, wanted to be Miss Grundy. She's the Miss Grundy I wanted all along. Yeah. Yeah. Fools. I almost called her Miss Grundy, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I'm kind of over Cheryl's, like, tiny violin situation. <laughs> but yep. I'm interested to see what's underneath it. I'm I'm I feel like we are meant to be over Cheryl's tiny violin right now and I'm here <laughs> with probably it. That's true. I found this hilarious. I kind of like it. I'm into it. It's 
it's so... I think, I this, think I like it. This is Glee-level ridiculous premise. Hey, why don't the four of us that? come back and teach... I love it. I, I also like that they recognize this isn't something you can do in a public school. You can't just have four unqualified randos. Um, yeah. I hate that private school is the option because I am a deep, deep believer in the public education system. Yeah, but I also I recognize too, but... that the public education system in parts of America and much of Canada is yeah. broken in ways where working around may so I'm be I'm actually only... going to interrupt you because um, yeah, yeah. I have a bit of an anecdote on that score. Um, my cousin, who's 12, goes to a charter school in Philadelphia. And charter schools are sort of this weird... Um, halfway point between public and private. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to be honest with you, Ryan, one of the reasons I interrupted you is because you froze. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that works. Um, Make it work. Uh, but yeah, my, my aunt and my uncle went through a really kind of a big crisis of, of morals because they really both support the public school system and that's where their values are and mm -hmm. that's where their, you know, hopes and dreams were like to be to be taken care of and to be part of that system. Yep. And so when it turned out that the public schools in the neighborhood were just not mm -hmm. not going to serve their students and they chose to send my cousin to this charter school, they were like, "Ugh, we feel kind of bad about this, but mm -hmm. and we feel and we recognize we're very privileged to have this option, but it, the charter school basically comes from the problem of public school not being well taken care of by the state. Yeah. and private schools being prohibitively expensive. So yeah. I think this is a very real conversation. And again, I appreciate it being injected into pop culture space. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something a lot of young young adults and, and young parents are struggling hugely with. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I get to take a, a, an ideological stance as a single Canadian with no children, right? Yeah, um, sure. it's, it's fun. It's nice. It's great. I love it. Um <laughs> I love the role, Carl, of Hiram's old enemies. <laughs> yeah, that is fun. I mean, you know, three of these um, mid-20s folks are, have been, do have higher education, and Archie isn't teaching, like, history. He's doing the ROTC, and they might give him, you know, gym or something like that, you know. Yep, there is, I mean, they're at least as qualified as a lot of teachers who sure, are working yeah. today still. Um but at the same time, th none of them know. None of them know, have been have learned how to teach. <laughs> I'm yes, reminded of. I'm great. reminded we of the it. the the model of schools hiring someone with a master's degree in something, but minimal, but only like a little university teaching experience, which does mm -hmm. sometimes happen. I I believe deeply in pedagogical training. <laughs> okay, so yes, Riverdale doesn't too. exist. Riverdale's over. Woo! <laughs> We're free. I think it's kind of a fun. Yeah, that's funny. I think it's kind of a fun choice. Yep. It works for me. I mean, there's a little there's a little smirking landback activist in me who's like, how's it feel to not have any yeah. official governmental standing as a community? Hey. <laughs> yeah. But, um, huge motto anyway. right now for Tragic Americana, Dying Community, and Jughead's like, oh, what have I done? This what is a the moment. devil's bargain. This is bargain. the moment, Jughead, where you step up and you say, mm -hmm. okay, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do, like, figure it out. Like, interview people, like, like, 
like interview people tell them why you're interviewing them like keep it above board you have an opportunity here yeah. like as a i mean i know this is a television show i know it's television i know yep. they need a conflict and a plot but i was just like no poor side i do it right kudos for leading me to readily believe jughead's bad choices the same way i readily yeah. believed veronica's bad choices and betty's bad choices Mm-hmm. Tony is perfect, never change. Archie yeah. Archie came from so many bad choices, I can't even tell what his cho- recent choices look like. <laughs> Archie is a long yeah, string of surviving jazz. consequences. Um, mm. the, it is like... Uh, this, yeah, see, this is this what, I feel like she's... Uh, there's a manipulation here. I think you're right. This is a bit more of a, a partnership where she's yanking control back in her direction a little bit. Mm. This scene really hammered down the the partnership, business partnership dynamic, of their of their relationship for me. Like, this doesn't read as a healthy relationship negotiation. Yeah, it's a business fight. There's threats, there's ultimatums, there's contracts and money. Yeah. Maybe Mm. they're having fun. Maybe this is them having fun. I don't know. I mean, what else would Veronica have learned from her lived family experience of how-to family? (laughs) Really, we we repeat the patterns we know. That's what Veronica knows. Like, even had she stuck with Archie and gone a whole different path, undoubtedly yeah. those patterns would have reared their heads from yeah. her in some way in some conflict managing way it's hard to imagine veronica as an army wife mm-hmm. you know? army spouse i, yeah, I don't see it working yeah. i i don't see her ever staying home <laughs> <laughs> oh man i this liked this gonna become a dynamic yeah i mean it's this very friendship. return to season one yeah I also love how Archie's kind of like, something's off here. I'm I'm not being told something. Absolutely. But still, no questions asked. Yeah, bud, I got a bed for you still. Just, 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 uh, there's something so sweet about their friendship. Yeah. As much as they've, they've been awful to each other a string of times and ways, they keep choosing to be good to each other. Okay, and then we made some choices that I, I yeah, side eye. I have to say, this sequence is very scary. Like, this is the kind of sequence that keeps AFAB people up at night wondering if it's going to happen to them. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Ugh. Yeah. Do not love. I mean, maybe they can deliver. Maybe. 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 Um. <laughs> right? It's a maybe. Like prove prove me prove me too cautious y'all go try please because i don't want to see that look that a bad take on this um yeah i spent sunday at the 30th annual women's memorial march uh downtown in the downtown east side uh fantastic beautiful memorial event for um women of all stripes and experiences and life uh places in life who've uh gone missing or been murdered or uh 
a great number of, of really awful uh, classist and impacts uh, that disproportionately affects women. Um, beautiful event. Um, really neat example of the type of public grieving that I feel I recognize from a small community, but in an mm. urban diverse setting. Uh, mm. it, was, it was a real yeah. point of, of, of community synergy for me and a, a lovely march. Yeah, um, a fr- another friend of mine went and said it was a very, very powerful experience. I think that having those experiences, especially during COVID, they're they're particularly powerful. I think being in a group like that, and especially when you can do it outdoors and it's relatively safe, I think mm-hmm. it's. Yeah, I wish I'd gone. I'm glad you went. Mm-hmm. Humans mm. have big social parts of our brain that only ping with connectivity. Yeah. It's a good recharge well, and an important thank you for, event. Uh, yeah, thank you for grounding that in reality, um, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Um, let's hope so that was Riverdale an episode does. Of, yeah, let's hope Riverdale does. So that was an episode of Riverdale. Let's uh, mm-hmm. let's see what happens next week. <laughs> you've you've got me on a on a by a thread, Riverdale. I I'm giving you good faith. You're doing right yeah. by Tony so far. Oh, yeah. um. One more geographical dimension I wanted to just pick apart for a second. Um, Sure. The location of Riverdale also drastically impacts um, the history, its history and relationship with the indigenous nations uh, it was built over. Um, Yeah. I'd be interested to see if that conversation comes back into the show. Yes. Um, I want to give just a really quick recap um, of, of some terminology that we use all the time. Um, Unceded sure. land versus treaty land. Um, in 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 the West, in Western Canada in particular, and in parts of, of the Western U.S., um, we are settled on unceded land, which means land that was never legally um, conquered or annexed or uh, allowed in a treaty. There's there is no governmental or legal infrastructure that uh, justifies. Even even in a colonial way, the um, the presence of both the U.S. and Canada and parts of Mexico on much of the West mm-hmm. Coast uh, and Alaska, um, which is which is a very different legal dynamic than uh, the Great Lakes region in particular uh, or Indian Country in Oklahoma. Um, sure. In, in much of much of the continent. Um, there are there are treaty agreements which are in many ways coexistence agreements between nations uh which is a well-established uh legal precedent in uh, in many indigenous cultures the um one dish treaty uh between anishinaabe and um uh yeah treaty making definitely predates colonization yeah it's it's there's a long tradition of sharing land and resources and overlapping nations effectively uh, in many indigenous nations that uh, underpins a lot of the expectations of the treaty process that um, much of colonial North America underwent uh, and the the bad faith bargains made by uh, European powers. Um, so there on treaty lands, there is a historic there's a history to be learned about what treaties were made what con- context and conditions they were made under what sort of duress yeah, what... or expectations and what has been done with 
with promises since. Most treaty promises have been broken in North America, but it is, it's worthwhile in investigating the, the history of an individual place, whether it's your home or whether it's Riverdale or whether, whether it's here where Riverdale shot. Um, yeah. The specifics of that relationship are, are quite in, important and inform the now hugely um, because there's, there is different work to do uh, in each circumstance. Um, reconciling a broken treaty of 200 years is a different communication than reconciling a completely unceded occupation. Or um, One in, might even in... argue that reconciliation is not the correct word. <laughs> yeah! And sufficient, if you will. Um, yeah. And then I also want to flag the, uh, the really unique legal situation of um, Five Nations in Oklahoma, um, mm. that were relocated under um, a very different treaty structure than many other nations managed to negotiate. Uh, it, it was a horrific human moment of uh, displacement, but is legally in a different place as well. Uh, likewise, Nunavut, right. the, the province, uh, the Inuit province in northern Canada, which was explicitly um, established as an Inuit-majority uh, provincial uh, territorial government with um, with a, a very different provincial government uh, territorial government structure uh, the 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 less incorporated state or province territory um, that is based on Inuit <laughs> traditions and structures um, mm -hmm. removing removing party systems from territorial level elections for example um, mm -hmm. having a very different um, political framework that is that is that is intended to better serve and be more rooted in Inuit communities and uh, uh, community structuring um, really neat legal entities that are uh, attempts at something very important um, hmm. yeah thanks for taking us through all of that because these conversations about land do come up in Riverdale and I think it's hmm. I think it behooves us as, as like two folks who like think about this a lot to to to, to ground that a little when mm -hmm. we when we talk about this show for sure. Thanks um, for that, Ryan. Yeah, uh, yeah, my pleasure. I love soapboxing. Um, <laughs> I want to point out specifically the um, uh, God. Oh, I need to uh, double check two two row wampum treaty. Oh yeah, I know a little about this one too. Um, but not enough to, to speak on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Turo uh, Wampum is, um, it, it, it is a legal document, uh, an agreement between Mohawk and Haudenosaunee, uh, nations, um, with occupying colonial settlers. It's, there's a much longer detailed history to this legal structure, which is, uh, represented in a visual, uh, in a visual of, a boat and a canoe sharing a river. Um, mm. It's it's very neatly, it's very neat contract writing because it is done in imagery and metaphor and storytelling and oral tradition, uh, mm -hmm. and it's it's a type of contract writing that really doesn't mesh or is hard to understand from a European tradition, but is its own right. very neat, rich uh, legal infrastructure. Um, Cool. With, Thanks for with, flagging that one. With um, inherited community roles and commitments. Super neat. Um, the Turo Wampum is um, 
covers many of the nations in Upper New York uh, in, around the Great Lakes region and is a good starting point for what I suspect a lot of the relations between the First Nations of Riverdale and the settlers and historical colonists of Riverdale might have looked a little bit like or might yeah, most closely um, look towards. That's right. That it, like, based on what we know of Riverdale's geography, that that absolutely tracks to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it would be in the same territory. Yeah. So, if you yeah. want a little more reading, the Wiki of the Two Row Wampum Treaty is a really great and accessible start. I've really noticed in really over the last few years, and a lot from this podcast, there is mm-hmm. such an extraordinary wealth of knowledge on indigenous nations, histories, legal structures, cultural structures, and and societies. Um, often framed in a past tense historical narrative, but Mm. often readable as relevant to the contemporary living traditions, especially in uh, nations with strong revitalization movements around language or around legal infrastructure. Um, uh, First Nations legal infrastructure is increasingly a huge topic in Canada. Um, Most recently, uh, one of our recent uh, attorney general uh, uh, for the nation was uh, Jody Wilson Raybould, um, mm-hmm. who we've rambled about before. Who's my MP? Yeah, who, we love her. Um, and she is um, a hereditary uh, member of the Kwakwakwila Nation uh, with the name Puglas, um, which is a name, uh, a given name with a title and governmental position, um, and a role in Kwakwakwila government. Uh, with specific duties of truth-telling to authority. Like, there's there's specific philosophical principles that she has inherited as duty and role within her community that is rooted in her nation's law. And for really the first time, Canada had someone with that expertise at the head of our colonial legal system, our English and French-derived legal system. Um, I don't think... It, she was remotely given space to um, <laughs> do much with that with that knowledge uh, before being uh, booted in a big old Trudeau corruption scandal. Yeah, um, that was no good. But it has opened a neat door about um, law law infrastructure outside of the British and French uh, civil and civic law structures that Canada has mm-hmm. inherited, which are which are two widely exported models, but are real, real borky that were never built for us. They are they are hundreds of years old of hot mess European local politics that somehow we use to govern small towns and cities here in the Pacific Northwest and elsewhere. And uh, mm-hmm. there are other legal structures, y'all. Truly. Fundamentally different and competitive and really neat legal structures. This um, makes me want to go on my rant about wishing that the f- it was built into anyone who filmed here in Vancouver that they mm. um, paid not just taxes to the BC government, but also to local Indigenous nations. But that mm. is going to send this podcast into another full hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for giving me the soapboxes this time, Chloe. I'll I'll try to get, save some soaps for you next time. That's okay. That's pretty much the extent of my soapbox. But I really appreciated I really appreciated where this conversation took us today. So thank yeah. you for that. 
Although I do think this is a good spot to end because you have just started freezing. So I'm concerned that we will start having like awkward gaps in what would otherwise be a very interesting conversation. Zoom is telling us to chill out, Chloe. Let's uh, take a <laughs> note. All right, gang. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week uh, for Thanks some for more Riverdale. Us. Bye, Riverdale gang.